sort of going into the premarital process topic, how would you define this process here of pre of, or we can use the word courting, right? How would you define courting? I see. I mean, my understanding of courting is uh, it's an intentional engagement to um, explore the personality of another human being for start, you know, for the purposes of marriage and having a family. It's not that that's the classic understanding, right? Um, so courting is well, dating. Let's say in the United States, in, could include that, right? But not necessarily. Okay, so if I'm 17 and I'm dating Jenny in high school, and the whole goal is to get laid before college, I'm not courting her, am I? There's no intentional process to engage this person on a practical sense to see if we can have a marriage and a sustainable family for the future. None of that is part of the conversation, right? That's dating. I'm, I'm with somebody, we hang out, we have good times, right? There may be sexual or not, or not activity, but the point is, is the mentality is simp- it's about being in a relationship, having validation, right? It depends on your age, you know? doesn't mean a 17-year-old can't court somebody. They can, but that's the difference, right? Is now dating in the West, once you hit a certain age, especially women, right? They hit the wall at 25. After that, all they're dating for men, even though they do everything they do according to what's appropriate for the, pr- the couple, they're expecting that it will lead to a courtship, subhanAllah, right? Even the Western woman is like, where is this going? We hear that all the time, right? Where is this going? Is he get- if he doesn't propose to me in two years, I'm leaving him. I've had, I know women who've said that, like they've talked to me about this, like their boyfriends and stuff, like he's not serious. Uh-huh. So they're, they want to be courted, essentially, right? So what what do you understand the difference to be? I hope I was clear. I, well, no, it, it was clear. I usually used I use the word courting over dating. Um, like I've I've had instances instances where I'm having a conversation with someone and I bring up the word courting instead, and I'm like, whoa, that's so formal, right? Like why courting? And and I like courting. I like to use the word courting because the idea is that you want to you want this to lead to a marriage. That's where this is going. Whereas dating exactly. is Dating is just more could lead to, well, to anything else. Could, could lead, lead to, to anything else. It's it, there's no certainty, there's no security, there's no guarantee necessarily. This is just maybe you're doing it for fun. That's why I don't like to use the word dating over courting. Right. The other thing that's useful about it is, you know, formalities in general in society. One of the things that's useful about them is they create social expectations, right? That's why when people follow formalities, it makes strangers feel more safe, have safety and predictability around others. You understand? So when you go to a doctor's office or you go to somebody's house, like there's formalities, right? Courtship also has the formality of what's nice about it is that both people know if we both feel like this is not going to work, we could, we're going to end it and walk away. And we're not going to drag it out and the sex is going to keep us entangled. Like that happens in dating a lot, Right. I don't know if he wants to marry me. I don't want to leave him in case he's going to propose, right? The guy's not thinking, you know, may propose, may not, but he also, you know, is enjoying how things are going. It's like there's, there is unpredictability. There's no formality. That's why they have to usually create it in dating. And it's usually by the feminine. We have to have a talk. We need to, I need to know what this relationship means. That's them, what, seeking the formality of courtship. 
ultimately. They want to know, are you in or are you out? Because if you're not in, what do women always say to one? I'm out of here, right? Because why would they stay? Of course. There's no, there's no reason for them to stay. And they also, their time is way more sensitive than ours. It's like a hundred times more sensitive than ours. Right? So that's subhanAllah, the nature of the feminine. So courting is about making, you know, giving both people that safety predictability that we're, we both know why we're can, trying to have a relationship right now. We both know if the relationship doesn't give us enough data to suggest long-term sustainability, we're going to end it and move on. We're not going to waste too much time here. Like nobody should be courting for five years, right? And if they are, it's because they're having sex or they're in some weird, ridiculous, long-distance family political situation, right? Who knows, right? But that's usually – that shouldn't be the case. So how does a Muslim in the West, let's say, how do they stay true to their principles but also – try to be pragmatic given the day and age like for example as a as a personal story three years ago i would have totally been against the idea of if i was courting with a sister we could meet up at starbucks or something three years ago i, I would have thought like oh gosh i would never do something like that you know it's wrong etc cetera, etc cetera. but but why is that why would why did you think that at the time and why was it wrong at the time, at the time, I felt that it could have led to something that, let's say, would not have been, you know, permissible in the Islamic paradigm. And so that was always my fear was, let me just cut it off in the beginning or prevent it in the beginning so that it doesn't lead to somewhere worse. Whereas today, honestly, I don't have a problem with it. I think, you know, it's almost necessary for a muslim in the west to if they want to get to know someone do it in a public you know do do it in a public place where like you two meet it's at a coffee shop right where there's people around and use use something like that right so just to sort of you know to reiterate the question is like yeah how do we stay true to our principles but also be pragmatic because it's a it's a really fine line it's a thin yeah, line yeah i mean i think so sociocultural environment actually plays a bigger role in human psychology than anything else, right? Because even religion, no matter what religion you are, it's expressed through the culture, right? If the Prophet Muhammad was Japanese or Jesus was, um, you know, Chinese, you know, all of our art, religious art in the Abrahamic traditions would be Asian looking, right? Not Semitic and so forth, right? Um, and so... The culture has a lot to do with what's considered formal expectations in society. Now, while I do think that in some cases, depending again on the young man and woman, you know, having a coffee out somewhere could be very appropriate and useful. I, do, I don't think that should be in, um, you know, in, the, uh, in absence, though, of having family involvement, let's say, right, if you're serious with somebody. So, um, like there's, again, just so many different models, right? But I think finding a balance between um, indi individual autonomous exploration as well as um, family feedback and involvement is a way to keep things safe and to have your principles adhere to. If you're trying to do a bunch of courting things on your own, right, 
over and over and over again, and you find yourself doing things against your principle, then obviously you're not using a good method, right? You're kind of lying to yourself, right? Uh, because half the time we don't want our parents to know is because we don't want the relationship to be affected or to end or to be dictated in a certain way, which I understand, right? But there's also a safety net to that. You follow? Um, and so, for example, if I'm dating somebody or courting a, a young Muslim person, but I know my parents will never accept them because they're not my ethnicity. That's just how my parents think. But I don't want to bring my parents into it or let her parents involve mine because I actually am enjoying the relationship, like the emotional intimacy, someone to talk to me. So we have different reasons why sometimes we'll do things, right? So, and sometimes we don't want them to be involved and we want to keep seeing them in public because we just want that sense of, let's say, influence or control over the contours of the relationship, right? Either person can feel that way. So that's one way to think, check yourself before you wreck yourself, is if you keep doing, you know, if, you're, if you keep trying to get married to, you know, fulfill your deen, but you're doing it completely independently and in secret all the time with all these Muslim girls, like, that's probably not a good sign. Make sense? Make sense? Yeah. That's probably why a lot of these apps have taken off and have such popularity with Muslims, like with young Muslims, like Salams or Muzmatch. I know like almost most people that I know who are trying to get married, they've been using these apps like Salams and Muzmatch. And to be honest, I mean, I see it as fairly successful. I, I know two people personally, they found their spouse using Salams, using that app. And in your work, do you often do you often get told by your clients that you know you they are using this app or using some? Basically, oh yeah, dude. It used to be websites, right? But now it's always these two apps, like you're talking about, like the guys talking to different sisters through these apps. And I think that's great, right? In this again, everything we I can press a button right now and get access to thousands of years of wisdom on the Quran, and I can also get access to the whole collective libido of demonic sexuality, right? Just like that, you know? So let's be real. The apps is a great way to filter, um, cluster, right, data of the pool of Muslims in your nation or your city, and be able to, you know, filter and, and connect with people. I think that's really good, right? But what's damaging about it is if we don't take it to a more sophisticated human mature level right after that so people who tell me i've been talking to a sister for six months and i think i'm gonna marry her and the whole damn time they've only been texting <laughs> they've never talked on the phone or video or something it's like i mean it doesn't happen that often but it certainly does happen enough where it's something to mention like guys that's not real connection or communication Right. It's like we've been duped by the digital world to the extent that we forgot the human element to this very human rite of passage of getting married and starting to breed and, and you know, contribute to the to the species here. Like there's a lot of human, you know, mammal down skin to skin. you got to connect with someone. You can't base it on some artificial personality online. Right. So those apps are useful to the degree that they help you connect with people. And then I would offer a general advice that if you connect with somebody um, within, if you guys are connecting, you know, quite consistently, like on a daily basis or a few times a week, within a month, you should be on video calls with that person. 
as your main form of contact. You can still text because you need to, right? Like, oh, I'll be late. I won't talk tonight. Or, hey, I thought about you. Check out this article or blah, blah, blah. Inside joke. No problem. But the basis of your relationship, especially if it's long distance, has to be like this. Because that's your best bet to determine if you're, you know this person. And then I would also argue nobody should marry anybody they've never met, right? And meeting them once usually isn't enough. I mean, it wouldn't be for me, but some people might, it might be, right? Because it, again, it depends on how you feel around them, right? Like your, your heart knows sometimes like the tranquility and this and that, you know, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes makes it very easy and clear for people, right? For sure. But I'm speaking practically, right? You, I would never let any of my children marry someone they've never met many times or we've met. And because you, you have to experience people, you can't, you know, how many of us would really, really want to buy a car we've never driven, even though we've watched videos on YouTube on it and read articles about it. We talked to our friends about it. Most of us wouldn't. Most of us wouldn't buy a pair of sneakers that we never tried on, right? And I'm not even talking about trying the person. I'm talking about just meeting them. <laughs> you know, so basic, but some people haven't met or they only met one time and so forth. So, you know, that, that's part of the, you know, benefit of digital connecting us to people, potentials in other states. Um, but at the same time, you have to put in more effort and energy if you do something long distance. That's why I would give everybody the advice is exhaust you know, your area and then like all the states surrounding you, like just focus on that radius, right? Because it's just going to be easier for you to really get to know them and visit them and, you know, maximize that, that, that place first, right? Um, it's harder to do things long distance. Long distance relationships always suffer more than you Yeah, think. They're tough. I, I was in a long distance relationship once and, you know, I was courting a sister and you know things went well but the problem was that well i ended up ending things with this particular sister because we had planned to the day that we were going to meet was also the day we were going to get engaged and i felt <clears throat> excuse me i felt an immense amount of pressure to the point where I was like, man, how am I supposed to know that this is going to work? I've never met her before. You know, she lives in a completely different state. So it's not like I can go every weekend to fly out to see her. I can't afford that. Right. And so I, I just felt like it wasn't right. My, my heart was telling me like, no, like this does not feel right at all. This is just, this is not normal. Dude, I so couldn't I just imagine back that. out. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you did that. Like, you're just like, it's so much anxiety to meet a girl or a woman that you're interested in for the first time. Like, that alone is, like, huge for a lot of people, right? And then it's like, oh, my God, it's the first time I'm going to meet her. And today I'm getting engaged to her? Like, it's just, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm glad that computed. Yeah. But what got you to a place to even agree to do that? I'm interested to know about that process. Well, I, I do want to mention something I, I forgot to mention was that we did video call. So it wasn't like I'd never seen her, let's say through at least some sort of lens, like a video call. So we did video call, you know, we would text and, you know, talk on the phone as well. But what led to that was that I felt that things were going well enough to move it to this stage, to advance the stage of getting engaged to someone. You know, I, I'd spoken to her 
her mother, uh, excuse me, I, I spoken to her father, you know, my mother had spoke to her mother. And so things were going well. Like I was looking at for, I was looking for apartments here in the area. You know, I was checking out expenses like, okay, how much is this going to cost? Right. How much is this on a monthly basis? So things were going well, but you know, again, it's just that my heart was saying, you know, this doesn't feel right. This feels way too rushed. And yeah. the, this just did not seem right to me. It didn't seem right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you always should always listen to your gut people. You know, your guts, just your, your deeper sense of self telling you something. Um, and, you know, look in a situation like that, it's like, again, it's, there's nothing wrong with getting engaged if you were to engage her. Right. But you know, it's also, there's nothing wrong with ending an engagement after too. Like people often think like, again, engagement is just a formal way that we socially say we're, we're the families and the individuals are committed to continuing this process forward. But at any point, a big red flag comes up. Nobody should be afraid to stop that process. Nobody. That's a big mistake too, that I think is important for everyone to hear. It's like, if you get engaged, especially if you get engaged very quick, expect that things could end very quick. You know, it's like, you know, and nobody should feel rushed into something like that. Ever. That's the one thing I cannot stand. That's like a pet peeve of mine. The idea that, oh, you're engaged. Well, it's too late now. Um, you can't end. Capital like, BS. What? Capital BS. Capital BS. You know, that's usually just pressure from the families or the parents or yeah, that's all it is. Dude. It has nothing to do with any laws of nature honestly it's just formalities and if formalities are social expectations just because i go against your social expectation doesn't mean i'm committing a sin or breaking a law right sometimes i'm doing a good thing because cycles of pattern continue to be passed on in tradition when we don't question them right no matter how harmful or impractical they can be right so we have to do that once in a while if it especially if it's our truth you know before a lot like no no this is do arranged marriages have any prevalence in today's era absolutely arranged marriages are a common formal way for multiple cultures families within many cultures whether you know um in the west in the east and everywhere dude still happens a lot probably happens more so than what we call western dating right Think about it. Where, where's most of the planet right now are what two ethnicities? India and China do. Do you think they're doing more arranged marriages and courting or westernized dating, so to speak? So not that it doesn't exist, right? But the majority of people, they're not the elites living in, you know, the rich towers of the city. Do. Most of the people are just the people, right? So they're doing arranged marriages. Now, what's an arranged marriage? The way I define it is, when you utilize family social capital to network and um, filter out opportunities or potential mates for you to be introduced to. So it's essentially what apps do in the digital world. We're doing in a human societal world. That's what arranged marriage is. It's filtering all that, swiping. But who's doing the swiping? It's usually the elders, right? Typically. If a person can get involved with that, and I've seen many situations where like the mom and aunt and grandma are sitting with the daughter or the son and they're looking at the bio data together or they're talking about the different, you know, 
children of their family friends that they know. Like this happened. I mean, I even grew up. Oh, what about this girl? What about that? And you know, uncle and auntie this, their daughter grew up. She's really cute now. You should check her out next time we go to their house. You know, all that is part of arranged marriages. It's utilizing social family capital to a network for filtering out people that could be potential mates for you. Now, arranged marriages are often sometimes synonymous with like you're being forced into something, but that's not what I'm defining here, right? What we're, what we're defining is a process. When arranged marriage is forced, right, it's, it's bad. Anything is bad when it's forced, right? It doesn't matter because at that point, it's not arranged. It's, it's a forced marriage. It becomes a forced marriage. Just because the mom arranged it herself for you, you know, means it's a forced, it's still a forced marriage, right? Because your mom could arrange 10 people, excuse me, and if you say no to all of them, you're not forced. But you're in a, you're in a process of arranged marriages, right? Arranged system. Makes, makes sense? And that's how I've always understood arranged marriages, at least now that I've gotten older, is that an arranged marriage is essentially like consent between the the child and the parents that they are going to together and go through this process of looking for a spouse for that child, of, of course, with the child's consent, right? Um, rather than a forced thing where it's like, no, you have to choose her, you have to, to choose him because he's from the same tribe, or we know their family or whatever. Um, right. For arranged marriages, though, I've always, I've always come across one of the statistics for arranged marriages that they typically compared to a non-arranged marriage they're less likely to end in something like divorce in arranged marriage so how successful are arranged marriages in your own line of work that you've seen well most of the um, immigrant population um, have undergone some kind of family formality and networking via the pipes of arranged marriages, right? Because when you're home, like if you're still in your country of Egypt, Pakistan, and so forth, um, it's more, and you got married there, it's more likely it was through an arranged relationship, right? Arranged setup. Um, I think that in the uh, arranged marriages statistically may work more so in our context of our culture back home, or even if they were arranged there and they come here to the United States and they remain married, Statistically, I think that's stronger, not necessarily because, you know, all of our moms and aunties are amazing matchmakers necessarily, right? It's more so because of the social systematic network, which puts that pressure, right, on us, the expectation on us, right? Social expectation is a very powerful driving force. Humans are so social that we will deny objective truth if 10 other people are saying, you know, the line isn't there and I see the line. I would rather deny my truth if it means risking bonding with people. This is our nature, right? And so when we have an arranged marriage and thousands or hundreds of people know about it, right, or they were at our weddings and it's all of our families and half of her family are distant cousins of my, like it's really hard to come out of that because you're not in love, right? Or you don't, you don't feel respected or you're just not getting along, right? It's like people, it also depends on, again, your conditioning and programming. Like people who grew up in tough lives, dude, they're, they don't consider depression. They don't define depression or happiness the same way 
somebody who's, let's say, more spoiled and pampered would, right? Um, and so everyone has a different, like, grit to things, right? And so I think that has a lot to do with it, too. Um, but I've also spoken to cases where people were in more so, usually cases where they were forced arranged marriages, and those are the ones that typically suffered more or didn't work out, right? Whether they're, you know, um, and again, these are situations where couples left their homeland and came and lived their life here. But one of the first things people will tell, tell me is like, we were in an arranged marriage. I barely knew, we barely knew each other, or I didn't want to marry this person. One time, you know, often on sadly with, with women, right? sometimes with men too, right? They're forced to marry somebody, right? Like sometimes it's a relative. Um, sometimes half of your family has U.S. citizenship. The other half is still in third world ruts. And an uncle wants to influence his little brother in Texas, right, to marry his daughter or else there's going to be problems back home. Like there's all kinds of politics that play roles in, in our families too like this. So just, again, different insights to consider. But I personally, I have four kids, Right. Um, if I end up, you know, spending most of my life in the U.S. like I already have, I'm already thinking about arranged marriages for my kids. In other words, I have, there's, you know, some of my closest friends that have families of their own, right? It's like I'm keeping track. It's like, all right, I've got three daughters, mashallah, right? So it's like my friends who have sons, I'm like, oh, he's, he, I like, I like, you know, he's one of my best friends and he's got two sons around the age of my girls. They're going to, you know, so that's something I, in the future, I hope to be in contact with a family and arrange them to meet and get to know each other because that would be a good prospect. Like I know her father, I know that guy's father since I was in college. Like I trust him. That would be an arranged marriage, right? I would feel more comfortable with that than my daughter saying, daddy, look, I met Mahmoud on, you know, whatever it's called, Muslim swipe, you know? I would feel more comfortable, right? Let's, let's, let's be real because humans like what's familiar. Things feel more safe and predictable when we know what it is. And there is a truth to meeting random people on an app and our parents go, this is a stranger. Who, how do we know anything about them? That's true. But guess what? That's solvable. Just because they're not from Pakistan or from Egypt or from your network of friends and family doesn't mean they're not worth getting to know. It's, it's a Muslim family just like you who showed up here to, to make a better life for their kids. You just don't know, right? So that's solvable. Like, that's not a problem, right? If anything, it could actually increase our community Muslim building relations if we saw it that way. But, you know, people are who they are. Thanks for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Don't forget to leave us a lovely review on iTunes on any platform and sponsor the show today at patreon.com. Links are in every description of every show.